I could not have picked a better guest for our season six finale. By the way, listeners, we're quickly approaching 100 episodes of this show, and we'll likely reach that by the end of March, which is so exciting. 100 episodes is a huge milestone for any podcast, and I'm just so grateful to be here and to be at that number. It's just mind-blowing to me. So if you'll remember, for the end of the year episode I did with my dear friend Carla Jean Whitley back in December, we both mentioned that a book we were most looking forward to in 2023 was the latest from Catherine May, which is called Enchantment, Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age, which is out February 28th. I wanted Catherine to come on the show so, so badly, and here she is today, right here, having an incredibly powerful conversation about finding enchantment again. It's interesting, in nearly 100 episodes, I've never had a memoirist on the show until our last episode, and now we have two back-to-back to close season six. Catherine talks about so much in this episode, including how to write a memoir, and I'm so thrilled to introduce you to Catherine and her breathtaking talents. Her book, Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times, was a New York Times bestseller, and her journalism and essays have appeared everywhere from the aforementioned New York Times to the Times of London, Cosmopolitan, and Good Housekeeping. Please sit back and enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Catherine, welcome to the show. I am such a fan and it is a gift to have you here today. I told you I manifested this in an earlier episode. So it, it manifestation works. Here we are. Hi, how are you? I, I was summoned like a genie. <laughs> yes, truly. If you listen to our end of the year episode, listeners, Carla Jean Whitley and I, I say, I want Catherine May on the show and we're recording this on, this episode won't air until February, but we're recording this at the end of January. So we did that less than a month later. So <laughs> how, how are you? How do I find you today? I'm a little weary. I've uh, I've had a flare up of a chronic condition that I've, I've had for a long time over the last three weeks and I'm just emerging. So it's so lovely to be able to have really exciting conversations in, in my emergence. Uh, yeah. But I, I must say I am low on energy today. So this is about all I'm up to, I think. You know what? We don't, you don't have to be anything other than what you are on the show. So you just be yourself and we're going to just talk. And, you know, I think that the book oftentimes talks about being in that state, maybe not, you know, physically sure. ill, but just like emotionally tired. And mm. I, I told you a minute ago that I don't often cry at books, like not even books that are intended to make me cry, make me cry. But I did cry at this book because it so swiftly captured how I've been feeling myself. And I, you know, I'm a writer as well. And I have been having trouble putting into words how I've been feeling in this season of my life. And you did it for me. And I just felt very seen and heard and validated. And I thank you for that because that, you know, it's, it's comforting to know that we're not alone out here in this big, vast world. So thank you. It's interesting. actually. I've had quite a few people say uh, that they cried a lot through the book, which took me by surprise, I guess. I don't know. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that being a possibility, you know, Um, but I, I think there's something particularly for creative people, maybe, um about the way the last three years that's uh, three years is it three years my goodness I couldn't even tell you almost yeah yeah three years wow 
um, have affected our ability to express and communicate um, mm-hmm. and, and what a deeply wounding thing that is when you're unable to to bring your gift to the world um, yeah. and I, I think that has that's triggered quite a few strong emotions really yeah and I was you know I so I how my my Catherine May origin story if you will is <laughs> I um, the aforementioned really close friend of mine her name is Carla Jean she's been a, a guest on the show a couple of times she's a writer too and we were in a bookstore and I wasn't looking to buy anything because I can get real dangerous in a bookstore. I can buy the whole store if I'm not careful. And we walked past Wintering, which is your book prior to this. And she said, look, you know, I, you have to have this book. I mean, we were both big library proponents as well, but she said, buy this book. This is worth your investment for your bookshelf. And I did, and I loved it. And I saw you had another book coming out. I was compelled by the book's title alone, which is Enchantment, Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age. So where was the concept for enchantment birth and why write about this specifically? Mm, Well, actually it was, it had a very hard birth enchantment I mean wintering kind of came to me in one go and I knew exactly what I wanted to say in it I you know I could see the whole thing as a as a as an object mm-hmm. um whereas enchantment I think is a child of its time you know it, it came about during the pandemic and the way that I had to write it was was really like to keep going in and trying to find what I needed to say because I mean anyone that's read the book so far will will know that it really does start with me feeling extreme burnout and and that really blurry state of mind where time starts to skip and shudder um, and where you can't seem to surface your thoughts um, which I think will be familiar to lots of people mm-hmm. um, and to write a book from within that that state was was really challenging Mm -hmm. Um, and so actually enchantment was a book that I kept writing a bit sending it to my editor having a chat about it Mm -hmm. orienting myself again and going back in so I I probably wrote four books worth of material in the service that one quite short quite compact book (laughs) um But I like in lots of ways, I've never written a book like that before. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of proud of it. Like I I think I managed to express something from the depths of that place that I was trying to describe that I couldn't access once I was through it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it was it was a difficult, difficult one to write. Well, yeah, but but the gift to all of us is that it is so raw and real. And, you know, I just was sitting here thinking I think that by the time that this episode comes out next month in February, it's going to be nearing our 100th episode of the show, which is exciting. I don't, I don't know if we've ever had a memoirist on here. We, we have, we talk about a lot of different things on the show, but we don't do a lot of memoirs, which is interesting because I love memoirs. And (laughs) and if I, I say that if we do have memoirs they're often celebrity memoirs which are different than this kind of memoir right it's not it's 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 really more of it's really I would say more of their autobiography which this is but um I I told you I'm a a moment ago that I'm a writer as well but I I'm a you know I'm right for Marie Claire about the British royal family you know I'm not I don't write about myself and in fact it makes me quite uncomfortable to write about myself so how do you even begin the process of writing 
a memoir is as beautiful as this. What's your process? And you kind of mentioned it a minute ago, but you know, you just, mm. how, how do you sit down and say, I think I'm just going to spill it all out today. I, that, that to me just sounds so scary to be quite <laughs> frank with you. So how, what's your, what's your writing process on, on a high level? I think, I think fear is a key part of my process. Actually, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I understand mean, that. <laughs> I think I'm, I, I'm pretty obsessed with memoir as a genre. Um, and I, you know, like I, you know, my my podcast, I I nearly always have memoirists, so I'm like the inverse mm. of you, um, mm-hmm. and I run a, a memoir centered book club as well. So, I, it and that reflects my reading. Like I'm I'm so fascinated to hear how people experience private lives, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that you know that will always reflect in your own writing, won't it? That, that what you read will so often come out in the, in the work that you make. Um, but I, I've just always felt drawn towards exploring those inner states. Um, you know, I, I think, I think all writers are interested in perception, ultimately, like how we perceive the world, like what it's like to live in this, this human body and this human life and in this time and in this place. And so I, I guess I'm always drawn to express that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's definitely as part of the writing there's definitely a point when i'm you know i've got a draft down and i'm asking myself if it feels real enough like if it mm-hmm. if it makes contact with the reader or if it sugarcoats it a little or puts some polite distance between me and the people reading about me um and 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 so like a really vital part of my process is that i will go and i will redraft until it it feels like it burns um mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I don't ever want to dwell in those places. Like I'm not interested in it becoming kind of emotionally pornographic, if you like. Um, <laughs> but it's not. It doesn't do that. It's, it's <laughs> well, right I, on the line. It, like I, I told you, it brought yeah. me to tears. But it's not. It's not overkill. It's not tears for the sake of being tears. You know what I mean? I can tell. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Like you're it's just not, sharing your experience, more, yeah. and I'm just yeah. resonating with it. I like. I like to take people up to that line. Like I like to take them walk them to the place where they feel that that hit of contact with mm. what feels like real emotion mm-hmm. and then to change the subject for a while like not to dwell in that um yeah. and, and i think really what really good memoir does is it takes us it tries to take us to a place beyond words actually like it uses words <laughs> mm-hmm. as a very imperfect tool to take us to this place that is about feeling um and that therefore is quite universal and that's the huge challenge with it that the words get in the way of human experience really and so we i think memoirists are always trying to find the the smallest combination of words that lets the reader do the work there you go you tee it up and we hit it out of the park <laughs> yes, that's right yeah wow well i said this to you a moment ago i felt very seen and heard and validated on these pages. Here's an example of a passage that really spoke to me. The last decade has filled so many of us with a growing sense of unreality. Even before a global pandemic arrived, we were trapped in a grind of constant change without ever getting the chance to integrate it. Those rolling news cycles, the chatter on social media, the way that our families split along partisan lines. It feels as though we've undergone a a halving. I don't know if I've ever said that word out loud. A halving. (laughs) 
a quarter, then a quartering, and now we are some kind of social rubble. If there were a spirit of this age, it would look a lot like fear. For years now, we've been running like rabbits. We are working now to maintain the basics of survival. We are tired. We are the deep bone tired of people who no longer feel at home. We can see no way out of it. I mean, that's just beautiful. In a word, yes, <laughs> exclamation point. So is, is, let me ask you, is enchantment the way out of it? Yes, although it's not a simple way out of it. I, I think it's more of a way to live with it and to find a way to process the enormity of, of what we're going through. I mean, I, you know, I'm 45 now and life has never felt like this for me before. And I don't think it's just because I'm getting older. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I grew up in a time where we felt hopeful and like things were improving and things were getting better. And suddenly there seems to be this sense that the world is unraveling yeah and we're afraid you know and, and we're living with these mortal fears day in day out you know about the environment and about the threat of war and about violence and disease and <laughs> all of the horsemen mm -hmm. of the apocalypse seem to have come for us at once and what we really need like we can't we can't necessarily stop that in a in a simple way it would be great if we could it would be great if we could solve it so but what we need to do instead is to have a, a kind of a response like a a toolkit that lets us find happiness and comfort within mm -hmm. those incredibly difficult times um and I, you know i think our I don't know. I mean, I think our instinct so far has been to say, right, well, look, this has just got serious now. And we this is no time to, you know, dwell in the in the fun edges of life or the pleasurable edges. Um, and that maybe we shouldn't comfort ourselves. Um, but actually, I think we've got to be in this for the long run now. Mm -hmm. And we need to find a way to keep going. And that involves being able to calm ourselves, being able to find reflection and repose, you know, being able to take pleasure in, in small things because yes. we need to be able to keep going and to sustain the, the energy it's going to take for the huge changes that, that we need to, to be part of making. And I completely agree. And I think I'm over here trying to take huge leaps but your book is reminding me just, you know, do it one step at a time, you know, take your put one of my favorite parts of the book was just putting your feet on grass, right? Mm -hmm. Just taking your shoes off and just reconnecting a little bit. And you, you write constantly surrounded by conversation. We are nevertheless chronically lonely and you are not wrong. Loneliness is an epidemic in, mm -hmm. in our society, in our world right now. So why do we feel so lonely when we are more quote unquote connected set in air quotes than, than ever? <laughs> yeah, but it's because we're, we're, we're full of chatter and noise, but that doesn't necessarily make contact with other people in a mm -hmm. meaningful way. And we're, you know, we're struggling to make time for complex, deep relationships, which are the ones that actually end up sustaining us. I mean, they're the difficult ones, right? You know, they're the ones where you really have to engage with somebody else's humanity and the ups and downs that, that will always come with that. And I, you know, I'm thinking about friends and family there, but 
those are the the more profound relationships that have that that deep deep effect on us on a on a kind of soul level if you mm-hmm. want to say it that way mm-hmm. and i you know i i think we crave those more profound conversations and and that includes spiritual conversations you know I, I spend a lot of time in enchantment talking about my relationship with the idea of god um which is such a complex and fraught one for me and one i'm like deeply uncomfortable even talking about you know mm-hmm. um and, and which certainly isn't part of my upbringing or my or my background at all um but I feel like we can't avoid those questions anymore. You know, how do we make sense of the world in that much bigger implication you know, of what those words might mean? We can't keep shopping our way out of it. We can't keep, you know, calming ourselves for a few minutes by sharing a meme on, on Instagram. Right. Um, uh, we're craving those, those much more profound conversations and that, that real contact with other people on that level I think no you're so right because I I just I think that's why I resonated so deeply with your words because I've been longing for depth and Mm -hmm. I've been swimming in a lot of shallow pools um lately not in that it's no knock on the people in my life at all but you know I think all of us are in a bit of just survival mode and we don't have the emotional energy to go as deep as this book goes and I you know I was just sitting here thinking we made it through the pandemic and (laughs) the pandemic was hard. No one would ever say it wasn't for any of us, but I feel as though when we, which was three years ago, which is, uh, as you said that earlier, I was, gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But I think, you know, when we were getting through it, we just were were surviving through it physically and emotionally, right? Like we just wanted to survive. And now it's kind of like, I, at least for me, I can't speak for everyone, but feeling the after effects of it. And it's like the gravity of the past three years, because I'm just not, I mean, I'm just not that none of us are the same person that we were three years ago today. It's impossible to be, and I don't want to over-dramatize this, but you know, the, one of the best words I can use to describe myself lately is discombobulated and (laughs) you know that's my favorite word (laughs) i know and that's what i was gonna say you write that you feel the same and so here's another passage that i love i don't know what's wrong with me really it's this god is so beautiful it's nothing but it's also all-encompassing i feel strangely empty devoid of thought and energy I'm not sure where my days go, but they go every single thing I must do. Any hint of a demand grinds against me. I resent it all. I want to be left quietly alone. So this, first of all, this, this book is not as depressing as, as the passages I'm choosing. <laughs> I just realized I'm like, God, I'm picking out the most depressing passages, but it, it really is such an uplifting book, but I promise listeners that this is, this is a very hopeful book, despite what my choices of passage may, may indicate, but the, what, what you just wrote, what I read, and, and by the way, that line it's nothing, but it's also all encompassing. It's like if someone said, well, how are you? What's, or if, or if they were to say, what's wrong? I would say, oh, it's nothing. Cause I don't know what it is. You know, no. like I don't, I don't have the words for that, but yet it's also all, as you say, all encompassing. So what, what that passage sounds like to me is classic burnout. So what do you think? Are we collectively burned out as a society? 
I, I actually do. And I uh, one of the subtitles that we played around with for the book was um, Reawakening Wonder in a Burned Out Age. Um, yeah. And I, I really do think that burnout is the operational term for our era. And that's partly because of the pandemic, but it's partly because of how we're living now and the level of demand that we have to endure on a day-to-day -day basis, like the the constant contact with other people without ever getting any any depth or, or mm -hmm. satisfaction or connection, um, the rolling news cycle that just keeps us afraid all the time, um, and the and the level of I mean you know I'm autistic and so I've had to learn how environmental demands really really affect my mental health and really affect my energy levels. And that will include, you know, like having noise around me all the time, like constant blare of radio and TV and, um, you know, strong odours and bright lights, like all of those will completely exhaust me. Mm -hmm. But I actually begin to think we're getting to a point where that's affecting non-autistic people as well. Like it, it's become so extreme that that everybody is just tired on a on a profound level and we don't know how to escape that because it's everywhere right. and it's 24 seven and it's linked to our ability to make a living. Like if, if you don't like noise and hustle and bustle, then how are you going to work in a, in a modern office? Um, and if you don't want to be in contact with people 24 seven, then good luck to you when your boss wants something at nine o'clock on a Friday night, you know, right. Because right. It, it's, it's kind of constant and, at the same time, we're being told by a certain part of the press that this is just weakness on our part. And it's like a, you know, it's a, it's about kind of privilege and, and being soft. Yeah. And I, I actually think that just vastly underestimates the stress that we're putting people through on a basic level and how we could actually all work together to alleviate that. Like it's gone too far and we need to have a little think about it and realize that we're just not getting this right. That's right. And you, you know, perfect segue to my next passage choice. And you write, it's not just that the world needs to change. I need to change too. I need a better way to walk through this life. I want to be enchanted again. Enchantment came so easily to me as a child, but I wrongly thought that it was small, parochial a shameful thing to be put away in the rush towards adulthood now i wonder how i can find it again so listeners read the book to find the full answer to this question but how did you work towards enchantment i mentioned before the anecdote about just taking your shoes off so mm -hmm. how so I, a lot of people listening are going to say okay well this is a mount everest climb and i'm at the base of mount everest how do mm -hmm. i even begin where do where where can we just start mm, yeah and it really i really wanted it to be a book about the small things you can do rather than the big things because i do yes. think we have a lot in our media about enormous things you can do to feel like everything's magical you know you can go off and climb a mountain and mm -hmm. and actually like when i started planning out the book i felt i felt under pressure not from anyone else but from myself to that i should be doing those things like I should go and climb a mountain if I'm going to try and experience or um, and the great gift was that of course during lockdowns I couldn't do that I couldn't travel very far mm -hmm. and it, it made me revise my position and, and to think also about the number of people I mean, myself included 
um, whose health doesn't regularly let them or ever let them undertake kind of grand expeditions in order to to feel the magic of the world. Um, and I also thought about my position as a mother of a young child and how, you know, everything about spiritual enlightenment tells me that I need to go off and, you know, spend some time in a monastery on my own for five years or, you know, commit to a, a, a sort of schedule of, of meditation that actually, when I stop to think about it, I can't do. Like, it, it's just not possible in my life right now. And do we carry on believing because we can't do those things because they're not accessible to us, you know, even if they're desirable, do we carry on believing that we are not good enough and that our spiritual relationship with the world isn't ever going to be enough? Or do we start to think about how we can find enchantment in everyday life and how we can see magic in the small and the mundane and how actually so often it comes to our doorstep and we don't engage with it you know <laughs> right right well so, I, I mean sorry carry on. no 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 please go ahead well like you know a, a good example for me was was get, getting in touch with the moon I mean in touch like I, I called the moon up and said hi um <laughs> <laughs> hello moon but, yeah, hi, Moon. God, if only you could call the moon, wouldn't that just be the most amazing thing? Wouldn't it? <laughs> but, but actually, every night I can step outside of my back door and see the universe, you know, <laughs> above me. And it's all right there for us. And it always right has been, right? And we don't notice it. We don't notice this extraordinary thing that is actually quite hard to get your head around. Like we... We know it's there. We read about it in school books, but actually we get to witness it every right. single time it gets dark That's and, right. and just engaging with the, the wonder of that is, is quite something. And, and it's like one of those things that this is not in conflict with our rational selves, because the more we learn about it, the more fascinating it becomes as well. Mm -hmm. And so I spent some time kind of trying to understand exactly how the moon influenced the tides. I live by the sea, so I see the tide changing all the time. And I, I don't think I'd really fully grasped it until I sat down for an afternoon while I was researching this book and was like, mm -hmm. right, I'm going to really get to grips with this now, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I had never realized that I knew that we, there were sometimes meteor showers at night. I'd never realized that they are regular as clockwork all through the year, every year. Mm. And I wonder how many of us, myself included, have ever taken the time to sit outside at night and wait to see a meteor when we know one is coming. Um, mm -hmm. We don't do it. And so there's this incredible grandeur unfolding around us all the time. And I I do think that by engaging with just how incredible and vast that is, it's so healing, but it's also a coping strategy for, mm -hmm. for really discombobulating times. You know, I'll tell you what, I am not a morning person. Um, <laughs> you're in the UK, you're six hours ahead of me. And we um, came on the air at, at eight o'clock in the morning for me. And so I, I am, I'm just not a morning person. I, I don't really come alive until about 10 o'clock in the morning. And yeah. last week I had a meeting 
in Atlanta, which is about two hours from me and there's a time change. So I, I had to leave to get to this meeting on time at 4.30 in the morning. And that is for me, the equivalent of hell. And I'm never up that early. And so, <laughs> but the beauty of it was, was that as I was driving into Atlanta, I got to see the sunrise, which I never see because I actively sleep in as late as I possibly can to be able to get up and get my work done on, on time. And, mm-hmm. you know, with the sunrise is there every single morning and I miss it by my choice and it's all right there for us. And it was, it was wonderful to be able to see that. And, and so is the sunset, you know, if I scheduled that in to my life, I could sit there and be enchanted by the sun, by the sunset every day. And it's, it's so much is just right there for us. It always has been, but it's us that gets so distracted and off course by an email or a text or Instagram that we miss it, you know, and it's just so sad because you're right. It's all right there in front of us and it's never left us. It's free as well. I mean, in a world where everything has a price on it, like sunset is there for free every single day. And it's about our ability to value it. That's the only barrier to us seeing it most of the time. It's all and right I, I, Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a really good, because I think, I think there are slightly bigger things as well that, that we can take journeys to see. Um, and I, I thought about that a lot when I was writing the book, that like actually I, there are things in my own country that I've always wanted to witness that are nearby, that are so accessible, but which I've never done and which I kind of always hoped I might catch by accident one day. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and very recently, I mean, you know, writing enchantment has changed my behavior. Um, so this year for uh, the midwinter solstice, I flew out to Dublin and then drove to see the sunrise at this amazing Neolithic temple called Newgrange. Mm-hmm. This place is 5,000 years old. It's older than Stonehenge. It's older than the pyramids. Um, and at midwinter, it still aligns exactly with the sunrise mm. and uh, it's underground. So you you can go in through a tunnel and the sun shines through it. Um, and it's, you know, it's popular enough that they hold a lottery for people to be there at the exact moment of the alignment. And I, I did not win the lottery, but I flew out there to just be there while the sun rose, while other people were feeling the ecstasy of that actually you know yeah they were there because it was such an incredible thing to witness and what was really funny was that i mean everybody there was irish um and they were often most of them were local and they were all like what the hell are you doing here (laughs) you know in a friendly (laughs) way but like why are you here why would you come here like what's happening Uh and i said you know when you think about it this is extraordinary and why isn't everybody here and and i think we we take these things for granted like we can absolutely thinking oh my god newgrange is incredible but i won't go it's just an hour's flight away right 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 we talk ourselves out of so much enchantment and wonder and it's and just and and choose this life of hustle and bustle that just is wearing all of us down. And I love this passage. This uh, directly correlates to what we're saying. 
there's so much always that we don't see. There's so much that we don't hear. The air is full of information. We just have to find the right way to listen. And that's, that's right. And you also write, I'm not learning so much as unlearning. I think that is beautifully said. So just unlearning how to be so busy all the time and how, and what to, what to reprioritize. So you mentioned this kind of in passing a moment ago, but I want to park on here for a minute, have your enchantment levels risen since writing the book? How has writing this book changed you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, without a doubt, actually, and it it really, it really was a, a therapeutic process for me at a time when I felt very, very isolated and very much deadened, really. Um, mm-hmm. And now, it, you know, it's just so simple. And I really realised very strongly that all I've had to do is engage with a sense of magic that was already there for me, like a sense wow. of wonder and fascination that was never not present but which it actually took effort to suppress um and i i could kind of remember the period in my life when i decided to suppress it like as a teenager when you know you realize that that stuff's a bit embarrassing to get too excited by Mm -hmm. um and as a as a younger adult when i felt like i had to take sides you know like i had to take the rational side um against the kind of irrational side of life and that that was like a binary choice Mm -hmm. um and actually when you sort of step away from that you start to be able to see that wonder is comes really naturally to us if we let it come Mm -hmm. um and it and then it's like a muscle like so many things you know you let it in and you let more and more of it in and it's just there all the time well, you just said it a moment ago, or I can't remember if you said it or if it was the passage I read. I think it was maybe a little bit of both, but when we're children, it's so natural to mm. us to have enchantment and wonder. Life is beautiful. Life is a, a gift. Everything. I mean, just thinking about Santa Claus at Christmas and uh, the tooth fairy and my, my niece just lost her front two teeth. And just the fact that the tooth fairy came is just the most amazing (laughs) thing, you know, and then, and then life hardens us, you know, and then you say the passage I read earlier, you know, you started to let go of that enchantment and childlike wonder in favor of being coming into your adulthood and wanting to be more grown up. And, and I just think, let's go back to the the way we were originally programmed to be before the world got to us. Uh, you know, yeah, let's go back to being so hard. Yeah. Yes. The world hardens you. It really does. And I, you know, I, I carried my childlike sense of wonder and enchantment pretty, pretty far, but it's not here anymore. And so I want it, I want it back. And I think this book is a roadmap to get there. And I've been on this huge kick this year of giving my listeners a takeaway tip or a daily practice that they can adopt from the books, from the authors that I bring on this, this one in particular is so important. Um, let's, let's get more enchantment back in our lives. So do you have just a daily practice and it doesn't have to be complicated that listeners can adopt even today as they're listening to this episode to find more enchantment in their lives? Yeah, I mean, I I have this really simple thing that I do every single morning um, where I get up and the first thing I do, okay, I put the kettle on to boil first because I'm English uh-huh. and you just can't ever stop me doing that. But, <laughs> but That's after baked that, into your DNA. 
it's got the tea has got to be ready i hear you um, but i i step outside and just just for i mean it's probably less than a minute you know i mean some days i hang out a bit longer because it's gorgeous but i smell the air mm. and i mean you just you quoted me saying the air is full of information it so is like every morning it smells different and the seasons all smell different and you can smell what weather's coming and you can just pick up so much about the day and it's so pleasurable at the moment the world smells beautiful i i love that crisp damp midwinter smell like that's mm -hmm. my favorite smell of the year mm -hmm. i just adore that smell mm -hmm. but of course once you're out there you kind of you know if the sky's clear you see a few stars quite often at this time of year i get up quite early i'm, I'm like the on the opposite time schedule to you mm. so sometimes i get up at half past four in the morning um, oh gosh that's not my that is not my time <laughs> frame <laughs> that's, that's that's not my, that is not my golden hour we'll just say no. that. that's <laughs> that's when I, I kind of wake up quite often um, and I'll step outside and, and all the stars will be there and it's it's so momentary it takes nothing from you it takes no time at all but it just gives you so much that's so beautiful I'm just sitting here thinking you know I've made it so hard in my mind to get back to this yeah. but it's all right there it's so attainable it's so easy it's free as you said it's just mm -hmm. all right there waiting it's just me that's blocking it mm -hmm. and i want more enchantment in my life and i think a lot of my listeners will as well and as we close our time together which you know you always hope that the your heroines live up to the hype you've put on them and you certainly have and oh, thank so you. thank you for this but I I could be I could take your whole day but I want to be respectful of your time so my last question for you is this I know what I got from enchantment but what do you hope on the whole that readers get from the book ultimately <sighs> well I hope I hope they get some validation for the things they're feeling yes. already um, and I and I hope in a way, like I, I think what you just said about yourself was maybe a bit hard on yourself, in fact, that yes, oh, I never do that, Catherine. She says, I'm sure you don't. No. <laughs> I'm do never I. hard on myself. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, like, it's it's not just you that ha that has failed to, you know, carry on being enchanted. The world has told us how to do stuff in a certain way, actually. You know, it's told us um, that to exercise, we need to be in a gym lifting equipment you know yeah rather than walking up a hill um or chopping wood or, or whatever um it's told us that uh to have a spiritual life or a relationship with the world that we have to follow certain practices and that involves buying a book and going on a course and you know like and going to a wellness retreat and spending all of our life savings it just exactly. it's not that it's not that difficult everybody it's just not. no that's it and and like not i'm not saying that those things are bad because they're not and you know i love a good retreat myself but also you don't need those things and we are we're led to believe that we have to you know pay for everything else it's not good enough or we have to commit 110% or it's not good enough. And I, I really want people to walk away feeling like they have everything contained within them. They need to do this and to give them permission. Well, you've given me permission and yes. I'm going to adopt that daily tip. I'm going to go, I have a deck, I have a beautiful deck. And every morning, even though I look probably like a goblin and like hell coming out of bed, I'm going to get on that deck 
every day <laughs> for a minute and the world can deal with my bedhead and my uh, creams all over my face, my night creams all over my face for <laughs> one minute. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Um, it, it, I think if there's nothing else, listener, first of all, buy this book, but there's nothing else listeners that you take away is that we've made it so complicated and it's really so easy just to get back to that childlike sense of enchantment and wonder and being fully present and, and where our feet are and just living in this moment, this beautiful moment that we've been given, whatever that moment looks like, it's just all right there. And I mm-hmm. thank you for sometimes you just need a signpost or a reminder throughout your life. And this, this book was that for me. And I thank you so much for that. The book is so good. Again, it's called enchantment, awakening wonder in an anxious age. It's out February 28th, Catherine from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for being here today and reminding me of what really matters. Oh, thank you so much. It's been lovely. Thank you so much, Catherine, for making my dreams come true, truly, and coming on the show. And thank you to all of my guests in season six. It has been a wonderful 17 episodes. And there's no rest for the weary. You know me. And we'll be back inside of a week with season seven. Truly, no breaks. We've got celebrities headed your way in season seven, plus chats about the rise and fall of J. Crew, self-care and how we're doing it wrong, trusting people why we crave the food we crave, finding joy in everyday life. Our very first poet is coming on the show, personal branding, and so, so much more for season seven. You will want to keep listening. I can promise you that always. Thank you for being here on this journey with me from the bottom of my heart. This show is not possible without all of you, and I'm so grateful for you.